ESPN Radio. You're listening to Amber Wilson and Chris Candy on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and ESPN+. Plus. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. Get at us on Twitter at ChrisCandy99 and at AmberW790. Also, hit us up on the Candy call-in line, 888-SAY-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. We got the breaking news with the Major League Baseball owners and players coming into a new agreement on a collective bargaining agreement. So we'll we'll have the latest on that. We also have the breaking news of the L.A. Chargers trading for Chicago Bears edge rusher Khalil Mack. And for more on that, as well as all the other goings-on around the sports world, we got to bring in ESPN sports betting analyst Aaron Dolan. And Aaron, we've had a lot of breaking news around the National Football League this week, especially with the quarterbacks. Aaron Rodgers staying put in Green Bay. Russell Wilson on the move to the Denver Broncos. How have that? How have those decisions affected future markets when it comes to those respective teams involved? Yeah, it's been an absolutely wild week, starting off with the Aaron Rodgers news. That, of course, shifted the odds somewhat. In the Super Bowl, they moved from 15-1 to 1 to 10-1. to 1. They also moved down in the conference from 6-1 to 1 to plus 400. And then in the division, they moved out to minus 200. Personally, when looking at this market for the division, I'm out on that just because it's so juiced at this point. I don't see them winning the Super Bowl either just because there's so many good teams in the AFC. I mean, it's insane right now. But I do think potentially they could win the conference. I mean, the only tough team I think around them right now on paper would be the Rams. But, of course, with the Green Bay Packers, there's going to be a lot of things that happen this offseason and figuring out things with cap space. So we'll see what happens with them. But then probably the biggest news, I would so say, would be the Broncos uh, trading for Russell Wilson. That was absolutely insane. As for their Super Bowl odds, they moved from 22-1 to to 12-1. to Meanwhile, Seattle moved from 40 to 1 to 75 to 1. In the AFC, they moved from 12 to 1 to plus 600. And then the AFC West, they moved down from plus 430 to plus 240. That, of course, being the Denver Broncos. The AFC West, I mean, that division is going to be one we're talking about this entire offseason. It's absolutely stacked with great quarterbacks, all four teams. So I think that the Denver Broncos' odds, it makes sense that they moved in this direction. But at the same time, the AFC is just so packed. I'm not ready to personally throw any money on it. But if you do love to bet futures, I would definitely look into the Denver Broncos. And then the other thing, of course, is that Carson Wentz is going to the Commanders. But that didn't really change any of the odds. And I would say the most notable thing for me personally when looking at everything is that the Buffalo Bills are actually leapfrogged over the Kansas City Chiefs to be the Super Bowl favorite. Right now, plus 750 while Kansas City moved back. And that, of course, is due to the Denver Broncos uh, trading for Russell Wilson. Aaron Dolan, ESPN sports betting analyst, on with us here on ESPN Radio. So with the movements at quarterback then, what has happened in terms of the MVP odds? So interestingly enough, uh, Rodgers' odds did not move initially at all, but Patrick Mahomes, his odds dropped back from plus 650 to plus 700. Um, for Russell Wilson, his MVP odds moved from 30 to 1 to 15 to 1. So we saw the biggest shift for him. Personally, for me, what kind of stands out is, again, since the Bills did become the favorite, I think you might have a situation where Josh Allen could potentially win MVP. We saw how great he was this past season. He was the MVP co-favorite back in 2020, or the runner-up, I should say. So I do think that um, maybe when you're looking at these markets, you think of, okay, these players are going to these different teams, and that's great. You can look at those odds, but see how it affects the entire 
market and the entire board and some of the markets that might open up and have other value that you could bet into. Aaron, we were just reacting to the breaking news of the Los Angeles Chargers trading for edge rusher Khalil Mack. Does that at all change any of the odds or the futures with the AFC West and who could potentially win that division? So right now, I'm not seeing it change anything. I'm not seeing any of the markets locked. Usually when that happens, when breaking news like that, you'll see kind of like a lock go over the numbers for a certain team. I'm not seeing that right now, so I suspect that it won't change anything just at this exact moment. Um, But should anything change, I'm sure next week we could be talking about that as well. Aaron, shifting our focus to the NBA, a huge game tonight. The 76ers uh, take on the Brooklyn Nets. How are you playing this game? Yeah, well, the first thing that stands out to me is this total has been, I mean, flying, soaring up. It opened at 229.5. It's been bet up to 236. The over 6-1-1 and one in the next last eight road games, while the over is 5-1 and one in the next last six games as an underdog as well. Now, some of the plays that I'm looking at for tonight. We've got to keep all the Ben Simmons drama out of this segment for my own sanity, because, again, I'm a Sixers fan. But Tyrese Maxey, over 17.5 points. He's hit exactly 17 points in the last two matchups but hit over this number in the previous five. He's also averaged 20 points in two games against Brooklyn this season. We know that James Harden can really open the floor for him, and the Brooklyn Nets defense is just all around not great. They're a bottom 10 defense uh, in points allowed to opposing guards. So I do like Tyrese Maxey over 17.5 points. Also like Kevin Durant over 11.5 rebounds and assists. He's averaging 11 rebounds and eight assists in three games that he's played against Philly, but he has not hit over this number um, in two games in his three-game return. But I do think that tonight he could potentially hit over that. Also, Joel Embiid, I'm going, which is this is tough as a fan, under 44.5 points and rebounds. I think that this number is just way too high. He's averaging 28 points, eight boards against Brooklyn in three games. We know with James Harden on the court, sometimes Embiid's production could lessen in terms of points. We know the Brooklyn Nets, again, their defense is absolutely terrible, and they should be able to put up a ton of points. I just think in this spot, that number in particular is very high. So I do want to play the under for that. And then the last play that I'm looking at is the Sixers team total. Again, they've just been crazy on offense when James Harden is in the lineup, averaging 125 points. It was at 117.5 this morning when I tweeted it out, but it's gotten as high as 120.5. I still don't mind taking the over there. Obviously, I liked it a lot better this morning, um, but they have hit over – 120 points in six of the last seven games. So the Sixers are cooking, but I do think that this will be a definitely a tough matchup. I don't see this being a blowout win for the Sixers. Talking with ESPN sports betting analyst Aaron Dolan on ESPN Radio. And Aaron, the only other game on the board tonight in the NBA, Denver taking on Golden State. These are two teams that are headed in opposite directions. The Warriors have lost nine of their last 12, while Denver has won 10 of their last 11 Are there any plays in this game you like? Yeah, so I actually um, would like to lay the points with the Warriors minus two, but I Mm. do think that this line has been absolutely fishy because we've seen it jump up to minus two and a half this morning, been bet all the way back down to minus one and a half, back up to minus two and a half. It's now at minus two at the current moment that I'm looking at this. And I don't really understand why, because the Nuggets are on a back-to-back. They did just win last night, 106 to 100 against the Kings. 
But on a back-to-back, they're five and seven straight up. But you have a Warriors squad that's getting back all their players, Clay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, Steph Curry, who didn't play in their loss against Denver on Monday when Denver won 131 to 124. I mean, they're playing a lot of games and a lot of nights. And they've won their last three games on uh, back-to-back with, again, no rest there. But that was against Toronto, Portland. And then, again, that game on Monday was considered a back-to-back with the Warriors. So I don't think they've really been tested on a back-to-back. And the Warriors, I mean, they can be explosive on offense. And I just expect some tired legs from the Denver Nuggets, which I'm surprised it's not more baked into the line. I thought this line would be more, you know, a three-point favorite for the Warriors or three-and-a-half. But it's been it's been bouncing back and forth, making me a little nervous. But I would take the Warriors in this spot. All right, Aaron. We appreciate everything. Uh, before we let you go, we got to talk about Major League Baseball because the owners and the players – came to an agreement on their CBA, and so we've got to look on the odds to win the World Series, and the Dodgers are favored at 6-1, to one, followed by the Astros, Yankees, Mets, White Sox, and Blue Jays. Do you see any value on any of those teams in the top six? Oh, gosh, I feel like these are just being posted here. Okay, um, it's never surprising to see the Dodgers come in as a favorite, plus 600, of course. Right now there is value in betting on some of these um, – Teams, just because the season hasn't started, it all depends on how you want to tie up your money. I personally always like to see, especially in the futures markets, how these teams are actually start playing in the first couple of months. I know the MLB season is very long and things change uh, drastically throughout the season. People go, you know, teams go on runs for a couple of months and they get cold, you know, kind of things like that. So personally for me, I wouldn't bet anything in this exact moment. People know I'm not a huge futures person, but I do think that there's value right now in betting into the board for sure. All right, Aaron. Well, we appreciate a few moments as your t- of your time. As always, thanks for helping our listeners get their pockets right with their sports betting plays. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for having me, guys. See you next week. All right. That was ESPN sports betting analyst Aaron Dolan trying to get your money right when it comes to all things sports. And, Amber, I'm not sure if I'm ready to go out there and make any Major League Baseball plays, but some of that stuff she was talking about with tonight's game between the Nets and the Sixers, I got to get on board with. Uh, That's right up your alley. I'm probably not getting on board with any of it, to be honest with you. But uh, I'm going to allow the – I'm going to let the – you handle the gambling portion of things. It's just that if you do win, you give me some of it. But if you lose, I ain't responsible. Uh, Well, what part of the game is that? So so basically there's no risk in it for you, right? So it's only upside. And for me, if I decide I'm going to make some plays and lose, then that's on me. It's you're, like, bad, I, you're a bad teammate, Amber. I, I don't even know any other way to frame it. You're just a like bad teammate. like I tell teammate. my husband, you know, my money's my money, your money's our money, you know. You're a bad Love. teammate. But speaking of bad teammates, coming up next, are we on the verge of Brooklyn and Philly becoming the next great NBA rivalry? Amber and I will get into it. You're listening to ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio and E+. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Get at us on Twitter at AmberW790 at ChrisCandy99. And also tap in on the Candy call-in line, 888-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. And Amber, the NBA world has been waiting for this night ever since the trade went down on February 10th between Brooklyn and Philly. We finally got it. A disgruntled Ben Simmons got what he wanted, got a change of scenery. So did James Harden. And he's been cooking down there with Joel Embiid in the five games that those two guys have played together. The Sixers are 5-0, and and they seem like they're a team that's poised to make a run at an NBA title. But I got to ask you this, when it comes to this particular matchup, who's this game more important to, Philly or Brooklyn? 
This game's more important to Brooklyn because of where they are in the standings. I understand that, obviously, the 76ers still have a lot to play for, and they're trying to get home court. But with Brooklyn, you're in danger of finding yourself in a play-in scenario. I mean, technically, you're in danger of finding yourself not in the playoffs. But it seems like they would be in a play-in scenario or maybe even where they have multiple play-in games in order to get to the real postseason. So with 16 games left, only five of those with Kyrie Irving available to you, you have to capitalize on those five in a very big way. We saw what Kyrie can do against Charlotte when he put up 50 the other night. But with Kyrie only available to you on a part-time basis, even if he's having superhuman performances like he did the other night, you only have a very limited amount of time to be able to benefit from those. So a matchup like this one where he is going to be on the court, it is extremely important that you get these dubs when he's out there because there is no guarantee that you're going to get the dubs when he's not. And if you don't, you could find yourself in a really difficult position in terms of the postseason. No doubt about it. I mean, Brooklyn's trying to find the easiest path in the playoffs given where they're at right now. They're 500. They're in that eight spot, but they're looking up a couple of games at the Toronto Raptors, who are the seven seed. And right below them, you've got the Charlotte Hornets and the Atlanta Hawks, two teams that, that from a talent standpoint, can create some problems. So the last thing you want to do if you're the Nets is find yourself in a situation where you have to win not one, but two games in order to get into a real playoff series. But Chris, it is, by the way, real quick, though, it is crazy to think, though, because if they do stay in that eight spot, like if you are, I mean, the Heat, for example, who are sitting at one right now. So if you're the Heat or or even the Bucks, if they make it up there, do you want to have to see KD and Kyrie in the first round of the playoffs? That's what's crazy to think about the Nets is that we're talking about Kevin Durant and we're talking about Kyrie Irving and we're talking about them maybe being in a play-in scenario, but also maybe being in a scenario where, yes, you're having to face the one seed in the first round and that might not be the smoke that the one seed wants. Well, here's the one thing I will say. The advantage of having a one seed is that you have home court throughout. So it's not just about that first series, that first draw, But it's also about who you see in the semifinals, who you see in the conference finals, and being able to have home court advantage in all of those matchups. And if it is a long series, having game seven in your building. I think that's an advantage if you're Philly, if you're Miami, if you're Milwaukee. And so all of those teams have their sights set on that. And with Philly being two and a half games behind Miami, I got to believe that they've got their, their eyes set on trying to make that one seed a reality. So... I can make the argument that this game is important for both teams, and I'm not quite sure which way to lean as to who is it more important for, which is why I think this game becomes fascinating because it has the makings of what you would expect in a potential rivalry brewing between these two organizations because Ben Simmons, the way that he left the Sixers, and then James Harden and the way that he left the Nets, the human interest, the human element in all of it, the friction between – James Harden and Kyrie Irving at the end of it, not fulfilling the promise of the initial big three in Brooklyn, and then the process down in Philadelphia never really coming through fruition, and now talking about these two teams squaring off at least four times a year during the regular season. And who knows when we talk about playoff basketball, I think it becomes absolutely fascinating about the direction of these two franchises and how they seem like they're poised to be on a collision course for the foreseeable future. But we had Yes Network announcer Michael Grady on the show, and he was talking about the future for the Brooklyn Nets and Kyrie Irving's role in all of that. Take a listen. Kyrie's credit, he's involved in a lot of different things from a, from a, from a charity standpoint. He's involved in a lot of 
human initiatives, a lot of all extremely positive things. Uh, some people are able to do those things, and it doesn't interrupt what they do on a basketball court. Um, Kyrie, as we've seen in terms of being prepared to play and, and his performances, even on a part-time status, he may be away from the team for two weeks, comes back, and he drops 35. Uh, he keeps himself in incredible shape, keeps himself, um, you know, when he's out there on the court, um, he just looks tremendous and one of the and one of the best I've ever seen play the game. Um, but if he has stretches where he feels like, you know, I need to be away for a while, I need to do this, or, or this is this is my calling right now, I need to step away from the team for two weeks or a month or whatever it may be, um, when you have guys that are putting their all into winning the championship, it's just something that they have to have a conversation about. And, Amber, we know that Kyrie Irving did not get offered a contract extension by the Brooklyn Nets, even though he's eligible for one. He's got a player option in 2022-2023 season. So he could potentially become a free agent this offseason if he would so choose. But I do think the Brooklyn Nets have a tough decision to make this offseason. And it's going to be about Kyrie and what the conclusion that they come to is going to be determined on how this season ends up for Brooklyn. We were hearing reports back in, I think it was October, that they were offering him or they were going to offer him something like $183 million extension. And then they decided to pull that and pivot when the whole thing with the vaccine mandate happened and he became a part-time player. That has really slowed down the clock, it seems like, in terms of those negotiations between the Nets and Kyrie. But it is interesting to think about because you mentioned, could this be the rivalry of the NBA moving forward, particularly in the Eastern Conference? And that all hinges on what these teams look like moving forward. I think we know, at least for the next couple of years here, what the 76ers are going to look like. Mm-hmm. Maybe not with Tobias Harris. There's some other pieces there. But, you know, with the key pieces, at least, in Philadelphia. I don't know what the Brooklyn Nets are going to look like, and particularly when it comes to Kyrie Irving, whether he is part of their long-term future there in Brooklyn. And that's before we even get to the conversation of what Ben Simmons is going to look like in that uniform when we do finally see it. So I think this rivalry hinges on that, but this will be a fun start to it tonight. No doubt about it. But one thing is for certain, even though people think that Sean Marks and Steve Nash are going to be the one making that decision, we all know it's going to be Kevin Durant because he's the one that's locked into that franchise long-term not Kyrie Irving. But we'll have more on the game that everybody's waiting for in the NBA later on in the show. Coming up next, what's next for baseball now that the owners and the players have reached an agreement on a new CBA? We'll have our ESPN baseball analysts tap in and give us the latest and what the agreement means for baseball moving forward. You're listening to Amber Wilson, Chris Canney, ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and ESPN+. Plus. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. Tap in on the Canny call-in line, 888-ESPN, that's 888-729-3776. After a 99-day lockout, Major League Baseball owners and the Players Association have come to a deal on a new collective bargaining agreement. For more on that, we bring in ESPN MLB writer June Lee. And June, we appreciate a few minutes of your time. I know that everybody around the baseball world is reacting to the details that are being released about this new CBA. But from your perspective, who won this deal and why? I think it's hard to argue that the owners won this deal, but the owners always kind of win these deals. It's a matter of how much ground... The players made up. The players made up a little bit more ground than I would have 
expected in a deal like this, but I think just given the systems and the powers that be and the fact that you know, players don't want to lose money, that's ultimately what, what got this done was the deadline of, uh, of opening day and canceling games uh, that was pushed back multiple times by the league. Um, but once you make the deal – uh, to, to, to cancel games, it becomes a much harder negotiation. Ultimately, the looming prospect of having to negotiate all of that is what pushed the players over the line to accept the deal as it is right now and uh, move forward on the international draft and, and a whole bevy of other issues. So the billionaires win even when they're pitted against a, a lot of millionaires. That's not surprising maybe to anybody. But how important was it that the players didn't flinch with all these? I, I, I When Manfred canceled the games at one point, he kind of almost smirked, and it was like he almost didn't believe what he was saying. And obviously what he was saying wasn't the complete truth because these games can be made up. We're going to get 162. How important was it that the players didn't flinch with all the threats of the game cancellations? I mean, they made up a lot more ground on the luxury tax. They made up a lot more ground in the last couple of weeks to get this to the finish line. Uh, and so uh, it was important that the players didn't flinch. And I think it showed the strength of the union relative where it has been in the past. I think that the union was weakened in, over the course of the last negotiation. Uh, and there was a lot of kind of sentiment among the players that the union needed to be stronger this time around. I think that it was a show that the union has grown stronger than what it was in the last negotiation. But ultimately, of course, Given the power of money, given the way the power, the how how those forces affect the way that um, you know the sport operates, the business of baseball operates, the, the owners are ultimately going to win out uh, in this negotiation. Talking with ESPN Major League Baseball writer June Lee on ESPN Radio. And June, we know one of the issues that the players had with the owners was the manipulation of service time and clubs being able to control when guys would be able to get to free agency. So with that being said, how important was it from the players' perspective to have the jump in the minimum salaries for players with less than three years of service time and to add the pre-arbitration bonus pool now being uh, estimated as worth $50 million uh, for those players that are in arbitration or pre-arbitration? How important was it for the players to have that provision in this collective bargaining agreement given that the owners can still manipulate their service time? One of the players' biggest motivations going into this set of negotiations was to raise the amount of money that young players make, given the fact that over the course of the last couple of years, there's been a growing trend for players to come up earlier, for teams to bring up 20-year-olds, 21-year-olds, and that's something that wasn't happening even a decade ago, five years ago in baseball. Uh, and so the fact that these guys have not only come up at a younger age, but have been performing has meant that, they feel as if they deserve more money at a younger age. And so the, the players have, were trying to create a system economically, if you look at their first offer to where they ended up, where teams are more incentivized to uh, you know, spend on younger players, but also spend on veteran players because younger players are now more expensive. Uh, and, and potentially, you know, in, in the eyes of some of these uh, team roster-building executives, uh, are now more incentivized to sign potentially a seven-year veteran who might come at a $3 million cost because the gap between the youngest player on the roster who's now making a little bit more money and a player like them uh, who has been in, in the majors for a longer period of time but now might not necessarily – in the past, the last CBA, uh, the last CBA wasn't necessarily uh, worth the, the extra money compared to a rookie – that that gap, because it's closed, now might incentivize teams to sign more veterans than they have in the last couple of years. 
June, a 45-day window is part of this deal for Major League Baseball to implement rules changes. I would imagine that this is a component that fans are, are vying to hear more about. To help us understand this a bit more, this is the pitch clock, the ban on shifts in larger bases. When would that actually be implemented into the game? And does that mean that those rules changes have been agreed upon? They just have this window now to make to actually implement this? Yeah, so the rules have been agreed upon about on both sides. The the universal designated hitter, the base, the base sides, all that stuff has been a conversation for a while. And I think among the players' side, uh, it's been a growing sentiment that the shift need, something needs to happen with the shift because of the way that it's affected uh, just the the dynamics of the game. Um, and I, especially with something like the you know the shifts, the pitch clock, all that stuff has been tested in the minor leagues, the larger bases. It's been tested in the minor leagues and the Atlantic League over the last couple of years. So Major League Baseball is prepared to implement this as, as soon as possible to make sure uh, that you know we see a, an immediate effect on the way that, that games are played uh, because of, of these rule changes. June, this new collective bargaining agreement includes a measure that has a draft pick lottery that has the intent of discouraging tanking. Can you tell us more about how that lottery is going to be implemented? So there is uh, currently six teams that are going to be in that draft lottery. Um, in the past, it was kind of a worst record to best record, top to bottom ranking. And so they're trying to make it less of a direct shot towards the top of the draft if you lose a lot of games to try to incentivize teams to be more competitive because if you lose, you know, if you lose a lot more than some teams, you know, it's not a guarantee that you're going to get the number one overall pick. And so, you know, in the past, I think the Astros were kind of the predominant team that implemented the strategy over the course of the last decade or so, where they yep. really put some bad teams out there that were winning, you know, were almost minor league style teams in terms of the talent on the, on the roster in order to gain the draft prospect capital uh, from Alex Bregman to Carlos Correa to Lance McCullers to build back up and win a World Series the success of that strategy incentivized a lot of teams to, to kind of follow suit. And now that it's not as much of a guarantee uh, to be at the top of the draft, if you lose a lot of games, you know, the hope of course, and it's just a hope I think at this point is that more teams are trying to feel competitive, uh, competitive rosters. I'm a little bit skeptical of that because I'm not sure that six teams is enough to incentivize them. We'll see how it plays out over the course of the CBA. Well, June, we appreciate a few moments of your time. Thanks for getting us up to speed on the latest with the MLB owners and players coming into agreement on a new labor deal. June, we'll talk to you again soon, my friend. Of course. Thanks for having me on. All right, that's ESPN Major League Baseball writer June Lee on ESPN Radio. Coming up next, more breaking news as the Chicago Bears are set to trade Khalil Mack to the L.A. Chargers. Amber and I are all over it. Stay locked in. This is ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio and E+. And Amber, yesterday, our very own Todd McShay came out with his mock draft 2.0 for this offseason. And at the top of that list is obviously Aiden Hutchinson, the defensive end out of Michigan, going number one to the Jacksonville Jaguars. But number two, he has the Detroit Lions taking Kyle Hamilton, who's the safety out of Notre Dame. Now, Hamilton is supposed to be a do-everything type of guy, a Swiss Army knife, so to speak. 6'4", 220 pounds. And even though he didn't run the fastest 40 time at the combine at 4'5", he does have a lot of explosiveness. He had a 38-inch vertical jump, and he's got ball skills uh, to match. So 
I, I know that this is supposed to be one of the best overall players in the draft, but when you start talking about taking a guy with this kind of draft capital playing the safety spot, I think we have to have the conversation about positional value because in today's NFL, safety is not a premium spot. We start talking about the premium positions, it's quarterback, it's pass rusher, it's offensive tackle, it's shutdown corner, and it's wide receiver. That's it. That That's the list. That's the top five. If you're not taking one of those guys in the top ten picks or in the top five picks, then I'm going to have an issue with how your team uses draft capital. So I think Todd McShay is absolutely out of his mind for suggesting that the Detroit Lions would take Kyle Hamilton second overall. But maybe I might be out there on that limb by myself. What say you? So where would Kyle Hamilton go then? Because the reason I would imagine Todd McShay has this happening is because he's, I get, I'm assuming, just doing positionless best player on the board, right? Like if you were to rank your player's best player on the board and you're going one, two, three, four, five, and you're not caring about your position, I don't know who does that when you're drafting at two. I mean, we could have that conversation when you're in the fourth round of the draft, but why are we doing that with the second pick? I don't know, but I would imagine that that's the justification here. So then where is is it appropriate to draft a safety in Chris Canty's world? Well, not not in the top five. And even if you're talking about the top ten, that's still a reach. I mean, the New York Jets did that with Jamal Adams. He became an all-pro safety in his third year. And what did they give him for his troubles? Trading him to the Seattle Seahawks for two first-round draft picks. Now, we thought, based on where Seattle was, those would be back half of the first-round type of picks. Turns out one of them is going to be a top ten pick this year. But it just seems like, it's a little rich to be taking a safety that high in the draft given the way that today's game is being played because we already talked about the premium positions and safety is absolutely not one of them. I feel like you can find value with that position later on in the draft, but that's just me. So Todd McShay has the Detroit Lions taking Kyle Hamilton with the second overall pick in his latest mock draft. Amber, may agree? I don't. ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Chris Candy on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Get at us on Twitter at ChrisCandy99 and at AmberW790. And Amber, we're reacting to the news of the Chicago Bears trading Khalil Mack to the Los Angeles Chargers. And the compensation from L.A. to Chicago is believed to be a second-round pick and a six-round pick in this year's upcoming draft. So... In terms of value, how do you think the L.A. Chargers made out for the player that they're getting in Khalil Mack? I mean, that is a lot less than the Bears gave up for Khalil Mack, right? So (laughs) from that perspective, I guess the Chargers are doing pretty well here. And you can't really put a value. I mean, you thought that they might give up a first-rounder for Khalil Mack. I don't know also if you can really quantify the value of bolstering your defense now in that division. And it's very obvious what happened here, right? Like they saw the moves with Russell Wilson and the Chargers thought we need to react. We can't sit here stagnant. And we're getting the breaking news all across the NFL, Chris. I'm glad to see that the Los Angeles Chargers are also trying to bolster their own team and make the moves as well. We know they don't have a need at that quarterback position. Doesn't mean they can't get better in other areas in this absolutely makes them dangerous and lethal in a division now that is the hardest division in the NFL. Well, yeah, it's an arms race in the AFC West, and I'm glad you brought up the quarterback Justin Herbert because we've said this before on this show, Amber, but I think it bears repeating. The most valuable commodity in the National Football League 
is a starting quarterback on the rookie deal. Why? Because it gives you the flexibility with your salary cap to allocate those resources that you would typically pay a quarterback that's getting paid market rate. You can put that into other areas of your team. And that's exactly what the L.A. Chargers are doing right now. We know that they've got to get better on the defensive side of the ball. We know that they needed another edge pass rusher to team up with Joey Bosa, a guy they invested $27 million a year in in a contract extension. This, to me, is a move that puts them in position to be able to hunt those quarterbacks in that division. Pat Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Derek Carr, you now have two guys that can make game-changing plays up front Two guys on your defense that don't need anybody else to go do their jobs at a high level. So I love this move for the L.A. Chargers. We were talking about how much cap space they had coming into this offseason. I think this is a great use of cap space because now you're talking about them paying Khalil Mack his salary. And it's $17.75 million in cash that they're going to be responsible for. So it's less than market value for a top-flight edge rusher. I love the move, and now you have to ask whether or not the L.A. Chargers have the best pass rush tandem in the entire National Football League. Yeah, strong argument to be made for that. He does have a big cap hit at $30.15 million against the cap this season. But like you said, the Chargers were in a position to do it, and they're in a position to well, do it. Well, that's not a cap they're... hit that the Chargers have to be responsible for. Well, that was his cap hit with the Bears. Yes, with the that's Bears. true. That was yes, his exactly. cap hit with the Bears. Now the Bears get a, get a clear just over $6 million in cap space with the trade, which frankly isn't a ton. But this is obviously a rebuild for the Bears, and they get the draft compensation for it. Um, from the Chargers' perspective, you're absolutely right. When your most important position on the field is on a rookie deal, you have room to work with and this is room worth working with right like this is the way to go about it and the way to improve your team in that division when it was just two days ago what 48 hours ago that that division got much much harder for a team that missed the playoffs this season in the Los Angeles Chargers and so now they realize that they have to improve where they can and spend that money where they can and this is the way to do it. Yeah, you're talking about a defense that had 35 sacks last year and you only had one guy that was able to get double-digit sacks, and that was Joey Bosa. So you needed to punch up your pass rush and bringing Derwin James down in the box in order to do it ain't exactly the way you want to deploy him in your defense. So I think this is going to give Brandon Staley a whole lot more flexibility in terms of how he, he draws up those defenses. We know that NFL defenses spend more time in sub packages in nickel and dime than they do in base. And so I think Khalil Mack is a good fit for them because he gives you a lot of versatility. This is a guy that made all pro at defensive end and all pro at linebacker. So you can deploy him in a lot of different ways, which gives your defensive play caller, in this instance, Brandon Staley, maximum flexibility in terms of the different looks that he can present those veteran quarterbacks that he's going to be going up against in that division. Listen, if you show Pat Mahomes the defense that you're going to be lined up in before you snap the ball, he's going to take advantage of it. Same with Russell Wilson, the same with Derek Carr. When you have a piece like Khalil Mack, I mean, you have a lot of different looks, a lot of different fronts that you can throw at those quarterbacks, not to mention you don't have to blitz as much as much in order to apply pressure because those quarterbacks, when they see those safeties rotating and they see single high and they recognize those blitz fronts, they take advantage of it and they hit big plays. Nah, you don't have to worry about that now with Khalil Mack because you're going to be able to get home with your four-man rush 
offensive lines can't double team everybody. And so you got to imagine Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack are going to get their fair share of one-on-ones, and those guys know that they can take advantage of it. You weren't willing to agree yesterday that the AFC West is the hardest division in the NFL. Now, with the addition of Khalil Mack, you changed your tune a little bit, right? Like, that's all it took for you to feel like that is the most competitive division in the NFL. And Mack, he has a familiarity because he already played with Brand- for Brandon Staley, so there's the familiarity there. This absolutely is the Chargers' way of competing in a very difficult landscape and not just their conference, but in their division. And this is the way to deal with how loaded that conference is in terms of top-tier quarterbacks. No doubt about it. So I'm excited to see what that division is going to look like. We know the Denver Broncos have a championship defense. They were top 10 in yards, top 5 in points. We know that the, the Los Angeles Chargers defense seems like they're poised to make a big leap. But we also know that all four of the teams in that division have quarterbacks that are capable of elevating the play of everybody around them. So it's going to be really interesting to see how all of this plays out. But if you're the Los Angeles Chargers, if you're a Chargers fan, today is a really good day because you got an outstanding football player in Khalil Mack. But I also got to ask from the Chicago Bears side of this thing, Amber, what does this mean for them? Because they're trading away one of their best players, if not their best player in Khalil Mack. And like three days ago, I was seeing reports out of Chicago that Khalil Mack is part of their long-term plans. I mean, this is this must just be a signal of, of a total rebuild because, like I said, they clear $6 million in cap space. It's not a ton. They didn't have huge, terrible cap issues in Chicago. So, I, I, frankly, I'm a bit surprised that they did this for what really amounts to a second-rounder. Yeah, I mean, that's really what it is, a second-round pick, and you got a six-round pick throw-in in there, but... Khalil Mack on his way to the L.A. Chargers. This was a team that finished 20th in the National Football League in sacks. They're going to get a huge boost in terms of the pressure that they're going to be able to generate up front. Khalil Mack seems poised to pair with Joey Bosa, their all-world pass rusher that they drafted with a third overall pick once upon a time. So we'll have more on that. But coming up next, which team has a better shot of getting to the finals, the Sixers or the Nets?